This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted, as always, to be here with you today and to wish you and your entire families, both four-legged and two, a happy, healthy, and prosperous 2023. Happy New Year, everyone. This is the, the first podcast of the new year, hopefully not the last. And I am very excited to be here with you on this uh, slightly stuffy, as you might be able to hear from my voice. And um, the, the weather's been a little, um, let's say, irritating to, to my allergies. But uh, a happy and a healthy new year to everybody. I really am, am just so happy to be here and to be doing this podcast and to be chatting with all of you this morning or this afternoon or this evening or whenever you are listening to this. I'm recording it very early on New Year's Day. It's around 6 a.m. right now. Um, so, so bright and early on New Year's Day. And later on in this episode, we are going to have the second half of our interview with Steve Dale. Uh, very, uh, and, and I've heard such great things from so many of you, by the way, about last week's episode and the interview and the innovative treatments for FIP, which I know is of tremendous interest to those of you, particularly who work in rescue, um, that there is an effective cure for FIP, which is just the kind of miraculous thing that, that honestly, two weeks ago, before I conducted this interview, I would have told you such a thing could not exist. And yet here it is. So that's very exciting news. Um, I also heard from many of you on the subject of the squirrels that, that I am caring for in the backyard. It's actually so it's so on the one hand, it's kind of uh, grown. So I think when I was talking to you, there, there were two squirrels and one cat. Um, now there are between three and four squirrels and the cat and two birds who come in and kind of clean up after the squirrels when I throw them some bread. Um, and the, the birds, I believe, according to Google, the birds are, are dark-eyed juncos is the name. So they're a type of sparrow, but they are black on top with cream underbellies. Very pretty birds, actually, and very little. But just to back up and to, to the ongoing saga of the squirrels in the backyard. So as I said, there there are three and occasionally four, but the truth of the matter is there, there are really two who are here consistently and one who is in my backyard all the time and spends his whole days just looking in our windows, watching for me so that he can run up to the window and beg for food. And obviously, this is a problem. You know, it's 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 less than two weeks that I've been feeding the squirrels at all. And I've really been pairing back to only feeding them in the mornings and only giving them a very small amount of, of peanuts, like, like just a little, like a little treat to start out their day, but not enough to live on. And so I'm hoping that within the next couple of days, the, the squirrel who's hanging around here a lot 
um, will realize that he is only getting this small handful of peanuts early in the day and, and go back to whatever it is that squirrels do with the rest of their time when they are not hanging out in the backyard looking at me. I would imagine foraging for food, playing with his little squirrel buddies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, it is, you know, I, I like everybody, like all animal lovers, I am highly susceptible to any indication that, that an animal um, likes me or or feels that I could be of some help to him. And so when I come downstairs in the morning and I roll up the windows that look out onto, you know, the the, 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 the when I roll up the shades on the French doors overlooking our back deck um, and the squirrel who's usually hanging out on the wall in the back, all the way in the back of our backyard. And as soon as he sees me, he comes like running over. I mean, flat out running. And that is the kind of thing. <laughs> when it, whenever an animal comes running over very happily and excitedly to see me, I, I am just as susceptible to that as the next animal lover. Um, but I am trying to wean him off me. And I believe that I, I will be successful eventually. You know, for the past couple of days, he really has actually not been hanging out so much in the backyard. He's there in the morning, he gets his three little peanuts, and he hangs around for a couple more hours. But now the, the point at which he he bails and, and goes back to doing whatever he used to be doing before he started getting peanuts for me is is coming much, much earlier in the cycle. And there's no more of the cat running into the squirrels or vice versa. Thanks, by the way, to everyone who who emailed me or reached out to me or left a comment letting me know that a cat is very unlikely to catch a squirrel. And that even if the cat does catch the squirrel, the squirrel um, with their big bitey teeth is probably going to be able to get away from the cat. That is good to hear. Although, of course, I did not want to take any chances with anybody's safety or well-being, but it seemed, you know, at least the, the squirrel and the cats are seeing less and less of each other. I, although I would again like to register my complaint to the universe, I guess, because certainly the people who are responsible for the situation uh, are not listening to this and and don't care at all. Um, but this is always, you know, so I've been living in this house now for three years. And you've heard me speak a little bit, and some of you who were subscribers to the Curl Up of the Cattail story series may remember a story that I wrote about this cat, this beautiful, long-haired, black and white cat with big green eyes, who belongs to the people who live across the street. And the cat is an indoor-outdoor cat. And they have this cat out in all kinds of weather. Um, I don't think they feed her sufficiently partly because she's always begging for food, although I realize that this can be a con that some cats run. They have, like, you know, you hear about cats with secret second families, basically, and, and cats who go from house to house and and persuade everybody into thinking that they're the only ones who feed the cat. Um, I actually know that I'm not the only one who feeds this cat. I see other people in the neighborhood, and and we, we some of us have talked to each other about it at times. Um, but the cat is very slim. She's a long-haired cat, and it can be tougher to see, you know, or long-haired cats tend to look a little plumper than they are because their fur is so thick. But I lived with a long-haired cat, and, and so I know. And I would not say that that she is bony to a point that is concerning, but she is certainly very slim. So when she acts like she is hungry, I am inclined to believe that she is hungry and not just that she got her, you know, one of her other families to feed her 
a block away and now she's coming to me like, oh, I'm so hungry when really she's, you know, she's just trying to scam as much free food out of the neighborhood as she can. Um, I, I don't think that's the case with this cat. And there's been a lot of rain the last couple of days and she sits, you know, my back deck doesn't have a roof or anything. So when she's sitting on my back deck next to the French doors in the rain waiting for food, she is sitting in the rain. Um, or when it's, you know, five degrees outside there, it's, it's five degrees. There's no kind of shelter for her on my back deck, which is why it kills me. It absolutely kills me in particular in bad weather to see her sitting there begging for food. And I go back and forth all the time about what I should or should not be doing about this situation. I always come back to the answer that there's really nothing I can do for this cat except to feed her it, when if she shows up and, and I happen to be there and she's hungry. Um, she It does not appear to be in any ill health. There's nothing that I think would justify my, you know, trying to, to catnap her from her owners across the street. And even if I did want to do that, I don't know how you do that with an, with an indoor outdoor cat who belongs someplace else and has no interest in coming into your house who wants you to feed her outdoors. Um, She has no interest whatsoever in coming into my house, nor do my cats or my husband have any interest in in that happening. But even if all of that could be overcome, I don't know how I could get an indoor-outdoor cat. Or I mean, I'm sure you could. I'm sure I could eventually acclimatize an indoor-outdoor cat to being an indoor-only cat but again, there, you know, now we're just talking about so many, it would be a very long and difficult process and not without its traumas, not just to me and my family, but also to the cat herself. And I, she does not look, she's not in bad shape. When I say she's slim, she's not bony. She's not dangerously thin. She always appears to be energetic and in good health. Um, there are no injuries. She doesn't have matted fur. You know, there, there's nothing I can see that would justify to me what, what, what seems to me to be the extreme step of separating her from her family. Um, because she does have owners and this is the way they all live. You know, when I say the way they live, I mean, this is the way they live with their cat and the way their cat lives with them. And I, I may not approve of it and I do not approve of it. And I really don't like that they seem to send her out in the mornings hungry and just expect the neighbors or, or the universe or the local bird population to, to be responsible for feeding her. I really don't like that. Um, but none of it, I think, justifies a forcible removal of the cat from her situation if I were even able to do such a thing, which if I were able to do it would be extraordinarily difficult. And as I said, traumatic for the cat herself. And that's not even getting into whatever feelings she has for this family. And I'm sure that she does. She is a sweet and friendly cat. Um, she, she has a little bit of, I, I always forget the term and it's a type of synesthesia where she tends to get very oversensitive very quickly to petting, which can make her a little bitey. Um, she has a reputation in the neighborhood for being friendly, but a biter. And, and that's kind of what's going on with that. But again, that, you know, that it can be difficult to live with a cat who has that sort of condition. And so I don't know if this is the way, like if her family thinks that this is an equilibrium that they have struck. I don't know. I'm reluctant even to go over and talk to them about it because what I'm afraid of doing is is making her situation worse, where if I go over to them and say anything, I'm a concerned neighbor, I feed your cat sometimes, whatever it is. I don't, I don't want to create a situation where maybe they think, 
you know what, let's just put the cat outside for good because we don't need the neighborhood thinking we are. I, I don't I don't know. I just am I, I'm in my 50s and I am aware much more so than I used to be in my 20s or 30s of the law of unintended consequences. And that's that's what I'm really trying to avoid is where there are some negative outcome for the cat that I could not have foreseen and that I certainly did not intend, but that happens as a direct result of my interference, um, which is also part of the reason why I do not want to be the only person who feeds her. There are, again, a variety of reasons for this, but but one of those reasons is because if anything at all happens to me, I, I don't want whoever else in the neighborhood is feeding her to have gotten used to not having to think about her. I want her to be in the, you know, maybe not top of mind, but on the radar of of a number of people in this neighborhood so that there are a number of people looking out for her because I think that ultimately is is the best, certainly the safest option for this cat. And and with that, I conclude this week's installment of, of the ongoing, I don't know, reality show of animals who live in my backyard, <laughs> animals who live in or visit my backyard. Uh, again, this is Clayton's new favorite reality show. He spends his entire day glued, especially now that the birds have started hanging around. He <laughs> he spends the entire day glued to the windows, looking out onto our back deck, just watching, you know, cats, squirrels, birds, every every everybody frolicking around and doing their thing and and entertaining the heck out of him. Anyway. In just a couple of minutes, we are going to get to the second part of Steve Dale's interview, but on the subject of New Year's, I don't like to say resolutions, New Year's goals, because I think resolutions, first of all, they're they're made to be broken, right? And it's just, I I think, a way of kind of expecting yourself to wake up as a a different person on New Year's Day. Like, I'm going to wake up on New Year's Day and I'm going to be the kind of person who likes salads instead of Oreos. Um, which is probably not going to happen. Whereas a, a goal is something that you can work towards and you sort of expect as you're working toward a goal that it's going to be uneven progress, that there will be advances, but also some setbacks. And so I think the idea of setting goals for a new year rather than resolutions is much healthier. And, and you're also much likelier to meet them and to live up to them. Every, every book that I have written has started out as a new year's goal. And along those lines, let's say a smooth segue into among the various goals that I have for 2023, there are two books that I have on the slate that I'm hoping to publish this year that I am, my goal is to publish this year. Uh, the first is the long-awaited Homer Whodunit, which I admit, I, you know, I've been very intimidated about starting this. Um, I'm never the person who reads a whodunit and knows before she gets to the end whodunit. So there's definitely a part of me that is very intimidated at the thought of tackling this genre. And that is definitely part of the reason that I have been postponing it and and working on other things. And I I suppose on the one hand, I will do myself the credit of acknowledging that at least I am working on other things, that I'm not just postponing this. And then, you know, lying around on a beach somewhere, not doing anything else. I, I am doing other things with the time, but... The time has come to face my fear and and try to get over this a little bit. And so that is one goal for 2023. And the other is another book that I have started making some notes and an outline for. I had not intended. This is not a book I was necessarily intending to write, but but it's I've started finding myself inspired. 
And this book would be similar to My Life in a Cat House. It would not, it, it would be a slightly different format. I don't want to talk too much about it until I actually do get into the writing and see that it's going to happen and happen the way that I'm envisioning. But it would be something of a follow-up to My Life in a Cat House. And the title that I am tentatively thinking of is The Best Little Cat House in Jersey. So this would be the follow-up to My Life in a Cat House. And uh, curious to hear what you all think of that. And just to close out 2022 on a positive note, I would like to thank everybody who donated to the the rescue of the mama cat and kittens in Albania who I was feeding and who I helped to trap for spay and neuter purposes while I was in Albania and who we were then trying to raise enough money for to get them. Uh, you know, Albania is a country that is not, they're, they're, it does not treat animals well, particularly dogs and cats. It's just not a country where they tend to have a good life. Um, and there are not a lot of people willing to adopt cats and dogs in Albania. So the rescue organization that I was working with, that I was there uh, fundraising on behalf of in Albania, um, has an agreement with a rescue organization in Sweden to send the cats and kittens there. And I would just like to thank everybody who donated to the the, the rescue, the spaying, neutering, um, vaccination and ultimately the transport of the mama cat and her kittens who I was feeding and taking care of while I was in Albania. Um, I am pleased to say that that right under the wire, uh, thanks to one of my my Patreon supporters, Carol Lofton, um, right on December 30th, we we reached the fundraising goal. Um, the, the cats were already being cared for. They were already in Albania, but there's now enough money to transport them to Sweden. So I would like to thank tremendously everybody who donated to this cause, you really have no idea. It, it, it was very, very difficult for me. Actually, I should not say that. I should not say you have no idea. I'm sure you actually have every idea and you understand perfectly better than any, better even than my own husband would when I say that as happy as I was to return home to my family and my life and my own cats, and especially after being in a country where animals are not treated well, which can is a very disheartening thing to be a witness to for any length of time. But I was also devastated to be leaving this cat, even and this cat and kittens and her kittens behind, even knowing that the rescue organization that I knew and that I had been there working with were were taking care of them. Um, I still did not feel like their fates were settled. And I'm not even sure, I'm trying to remember now if they were spayed and neutered just before I left or just after, if we were still in the process of trying to trap them. I, I think actually the, the rescue group was still in the process of trapping them or trying to trap them when I left. So I left with things very unsettled. And it is just good to know, I, I mean, you can say that it's an arbitrary deadline and that may be fair, but it's still good to know that 2022 ended with this mama cat and her kittens um, getting prepared for a new life in Sweden and hopefully soon into adoptive homes. And so truly just a huge thank you to everybody who donated, whether you donated $1 or you donated $100 or you donated more than that. Truly, this is the kind of situation, and especially in the context of a country like Albania, where every dollar really does go a long, long way because it is a poor country. So the dollar that you donate for rescue in Albania, it really is like like, like donating $10 here in the United States. And so I would like to thank everybody who donated regardless of the size of your donation. 
And I would say that regardless of the size of your donation, we all know what the size of your heart is, and it is huge. And I thank you uh, from the bottom of my own heart. And on that note, we are going to take a brief break of about 30 seconds or so. And when we return, we will be speaking once again with Steve Dale. So sit back, relax, get comfortable, and stick around for more Curl Up With a Cattail. I'm a longtime cat owner by this point. Um, I've been living with cats for more than 25 years, more than than half my life. Um, and I have lost three so far and all to different illnesses. But in, in many ways, the, the first cat I lost was, was the most traumatic. Um, part of that was because she was the first cat that I lost. But part of it was also because by the time I took her to the vet, you know, she, she had for months been dealing with her ultimately her late you know what would become her late stage fatal illness Mm -hmm. and for months i did not know because i did not realize that she was in pain which is just an awful awful thing to discover as as a cat guardian that that your cat was suffering and you did not know It, it really is something that that i don't know i will ever emotionally recover from all the way um although you know, for for any if anybody else were saying this to me, the first thing I would say is, you cannot. There's only so hard on yourself you can be because cats can make it very difficult to tell when they're in pain, and I, I think this is a common concern all cat guardians have. And and I was hoping that you could speak to that a little bit. I would love to do that. Thank you. Um, and I'm sorry about what happened, but your experience is not. Uh, you're not alone. It's it's common. Uh, cats are hardwired. But let me back up one step. First of all, cats have the same pathways for pain as we do, as dogs do, as most mammal species do. So if there's any doubt that they suffer pain, as we do, we now know that is not the case. They suffer pain exactly like we do. They just don't tell us. Uh, and why don't they tell us? Well, they're hardwired to be cats and cats are predator and prey. So going back thousands of years, that cat outside, of course, if the cat says to a predator, I'm hurting, they will be eaten. So cats are genetically predisposed. They're, they don't think it through. They're genetically predisposed not to show they are in pain. They are great magicians in the way they can hide pain. So I'm going to give you, if you'd like, some, maybe some are surprising, and uh, maybe some, I knew that, ideas uh, that cats, that you would know potentially your cat is in pain. I I think all of, uh, truly, I think I speak for everybody listening when I say we would love to, I mean, now there are signs being more experienced there are things that I know to look for, but I never want to make this mistake ever again. And I would imagine nobody listening 
ever wants to make this mistake either. So yes, please do let us know what can we look for? What should we be noticing as cat guardians to tell if our cats are suffering in ways that may not be immediately obvious? So some might be obvious. I I don't know. Okay. You know, so I'll leave that up to individuals to say, I knew that or I didn't really know that. So not wanting to go up or down stairs. So a cat that historically had been woo going up or down stairs, no problem. Now the cat isn't doing that. But okay. also, also the way in which the cat goes up or down stairs. So a cat that's going straight up or straight downstairs, fine. Even if it's slowly, that cat might be in pain, but definitely a cat that goes diagonally up or downstairs. Interesting. Yeah, it is. So the cat may be going more slowly, but the cat, more slowly or not, that is going diagonally is doing it for a reason. Now, it could be that the light is better on one side of the stairs or something like that, but odds are. That cat is in pain. Uh, and and cat, I'm sorry. And what's the connection between a diagonal path up the stairs and and pain? Oh, because I'm talking about osteoarthritis. Permanent. Oh, I see. So if they can't, so if they can't use one leg or or one side of their body as effectively as they used to be able to, or if it hurts, if they have like pain in in, in their hip on one side, they might walk diagonally to to ease some of the pressure on that side. Right. It's it's mostly gotcha. pain in their joints. Okay. And it's uh, often their knee joints, but yeah, it can be their hips as well. Uh, and arthritis is vastly, vastly, vastly underdiagnosed in cats. Uh, we thought at one point in time, and then I'll give you some more of these, but we thought at one point in time that, oh, they're small. So they don't get arthritis. Only big dogs get arthritis or old dogs get arthritis. Oh, no, I definitely had a cat with arthritis. I, I mean, it wasn't even surprising. She was older and and she became arthritic and it was never formally diagnosed by a veterinarian. But you could certainly tell by the stiffness in the way that she moved there that she was arthritic. And, yeah. And it should have been diagnosed. And today, hopefully it would be by, diagnosed by a veterinarian. And the veterinarian would say, let's do something about it. So the cat's not in pain. And today we have tools and I could talk about that. A reluctance to move. Uh, Painful cats aren't just playful. There are lots of reasons why a cat may not be as playful, but pain is certainly toward the top of the list. The cat doesn't want to be touched. So a cat that always enjoyed being touched doesn't want to be touched now. A cat that hesitates before jumping on or off furniture. So Think about your cat, any cat that you've had, and the cat goes, just jumps up on the counter. You may not want the cat to jump up on the counter, but the cat jumps up on the counter. Now, this cat is jumping up on the counter, but hesitates for two seconds. Now, cat could be hesitating because of, again, a lack of light. I'm not sure where I'm going. Could be hesitating because you're right there, and the cat knows I'm not supposed to jump up on that counter. But a cat that, and it's not only countertops, it could be the bed, somewhere you've always allowed your cat to jump. And now the cat hesitates just a little bit. A cat that goes down, jumps off furniture, but uses the furniture. So I'm going to try to describe this the best I can. So imagine a cat on a coffee table. And the coffee tables have legs, right? Right. And the cat is kind of sliding down rather than jumping down. And this can actually be hard to see, but when you use slow motion, we could do that now with our phones. 
or even without slow motion with a video, then you might be able to tell the cat is doing it. That is how subtle this can be, by the way. Right. A cat that is sleeping more without moving from place to place. So cats have their favorite places to sleep, but a cat that's just not going to bother getting up anymore to move from place to place. For example, cats that have always followed the sun from window to window to window. The sun is in the window. The cat is sleeping there. That's that's. I'm only laughing because I, I have I have one cat, my cat, Clayton, who who lives for attention and his goal in even when he's unconscious, he wants to make sure that you are aware of him. And so he will pick his spot in the middle of the floor in the most trafficked room in the house in the morning. And that is where he goes to sleep and he will sleep there all day without budging. And so some of these also sound like they could just be symptoms of incurable laziness in, well, in yeah, your cat. Sure. But I, I do understand we're, we're looking for a a preponderance and and sort of a, a distinct change in behavior. Yeah. Um, I mean, things that, again, might be very subtle that only somebody who know like you who knows your cat very well would notice. But if you are noticing these kinds of differences, you should not just brush them aside because maybe your spouse doesn't also notice them or, you know, you let someone else convince you that it's just in your head. If you, the person who knows your cat best, sees a difference, even if it seems like a minor one, it's worth exploring, I think, is kind of the moral of this story. I agree. And like the sliding off, the using furniture to slide off, we we didn't know that because no one paid enough attention, even veterinarians, to but now... Actually, probably it's phone cameras that have said, okay, look at the way the cat is doing this. So gingerly, you don't see that with your eyeball, but you do see that if you pay attention to a video, particularly if it's in slow motion. Sure. A cat that is under grooming, a cat that is over grooming, maybe in pain. Accidents outside the litter box. Now, there are, I think, 4,812 reasons why cats can have <laughs> accidents outside the box. But one of them is simply, it hurts to step into the box. Right. It hurts to squat. It's just easier to do it. And those cats generally go near the box. So it's not the location that's the issue. It's getting in the box. Right. Excessive purring, excessive meowing. So a cat that meows or purrs more than it did uh, might be telling you or trying to tell you, actually, I hurt. Well, and sometimes cats purr to self-soothe, I think is something also worth noting. I mean, I I had one cat who purred very loudly and intensely in the vet's office when she was sick. And 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 the vet, I think, took it as sort of, oh, look, she she likes me. And I'm like, no, she she doesn't feel good. And she's trying to make herself feel better. But I think, again, that's why purring is something that it's worth because we associate it with very positive things. And generally, it is a very positive association. But if you notice a cat purring oddly or more often than usual or in a situation where they didn't used to purr, it could be because they're in pain and they're trying to self-soothe. Totally correct. I I absolutely agree and well said. Uh, A cat that looks scrunched up or is walking stiffly. So we did a whole series of videos. I, I I did this with a veterinarian where we looked at cats walking, just walking. And you can tell once you see enough cats, which of these cats are walking stiffly. A lower head posture as the cat is walking. So that's neck pain or shoulder pain or both. Shallow breathing. Having eyes closed more often 
than you'd expect. So, of course, when the cat is sleeping, its eyes are closed. But a cat that just goes off into a corner, closes its eyes and looks scrunched up, that cat may be in pain. I mean, that, that's an, an impulse to hide. Uh, that's an impulse mm-hmm. to, to, to make yourself as small as possible. Uh, again, to your earlier point, the cats being both predator and prey and having evolved to disguise their pain, one of the best ways to disguise pain is to hide or is to remove yourself from the center of traffic or the center of attention and, you know, to not just hide your pain, but hide yourself entirely. Um, and again, I think that's something else that, you know, oh, well, cats like to hide. And that is certainly true. But if you, as your cat's guardian, notice a, a different level or kind of, of hiding than is typical, that could also be something worth looking at. Uh, guess what's next on my list? Hiding. Uh, and you you did that part for me. Uh, and you're right. <laughs> Overnight yowling. That can occur for all sorts of reasons. But one reason is I hurt. And it might not be arthritis by any means, by the way. Sure. It can be dental pain. It can be gastrointestinal pain. Uh, change in appetite. So a cat that's actually doesn't want to eat. Many, many, many reasons for that. But probably the cat isn't just being finicky. That cat may be in pain. There's now something called the feline grimace scale. And you can look at a cat's face and determine that something is going on. The cat is either anxious or the cat is in pain. So it is the way the whiskers are, the way the ears are. You know, we know that we can look at a dog or look at our spouse, our significant other, and say, something's going on with you. But we have all these nerves, as do dogs, in our faces to demonstrate how we feel. All great apes do, incidentally. Chimpanzees, orangutans, bonobos, and gorillas. But cats don't have enough muscles in their face so they cannot smile, for example, the way we can, the way dogs can, and the way chimpanzees can. For those who have a pet chimpanzee, which I hope is no one, <laughs> but you still can tell a whole lot. We now know from a scale, uh, a group of researchers in Canada figured all this out and they compared all these images and videos of cats and they were determined, they were able to determine by looking at the cat if that cat is in pain or not. Um, and there are now all these studies I, I can quote many of them to you. My favorite, I'm just going to do one, I'll spare you, but my favorite is is this one. Um, It is a study that took x-rays of, I think, literally 100 cats. And those x-rays, they wanted to look at GI issues going on, but they were entire body x-rays. And what they determined from those x-rays is whatever they determined having to do with the GI issues. I don't know the answer to that, but what they found is 100%, 100%, 100% of those cats had arthritis and the overwhelming majority of the cat parents had no idea. That is That is sort of terrifying to hear, although I have to assume that in some of the cases where the guardians did not know what was going on, it was probably because, I mean, at least some of the time, because somebody talked them out of taking maybe subtle things that they noticed too seriously. 
Um, which again, I think is something that because cats do not have those faces, like people are like dogs that, that contort with whatever emotion they are experiencing at the time. I think there can be, especially for people who don't know a particular cat or cats in general as well to say, he's fine. He's fine. You're worrying too much. You're worrying about nothing. Um, I, I know that sometimes when I'm worried about the cats, it's something that my husband does. And by the way, not to try to be dismissive, but because he does not want to see me upset and he genuinely thinks I'm getting upset for no reason, which is a, a noble enough impulse. But again, to remember that you are the one who knows your cat best. And so don't, if you sense that something is wrong, do not allow yourself to just kind of be poo-pooed out of that feeling that you have. Oh, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, you know your pets best. And if you think something is wrong, you know what? Something is probably wrong. Having to do with pain or anything else, dog or cat or pet bird, pet ferret. It, it, yeah, you know your Absolutely agree with you. You know your pet's best. I mean, so, you know your pet's best, and it's also your job, sorry, to, to be their voice and their champion. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, which, you know, again, this is, I mean, truly, this is, it is always better to be safe than sorry. I'm not, I don't want people to become hypochondriacs by proxy for, for their cats, but do not disregard a, a genuine, you know, suspicion that something is not as it should be. So, I want to talk about what you do about it. Okay. What do you do about it? So historically for dogs or for people, we have a whole long list of pharmaceuticals that can help. Physical therapy helps for dogs or humans. Actually, movement helps. We're talking about arthritis, treatment for arthritis. Yes. Yes. Specifically arthritis. I had a dog who, with arthritis, who used to go hit hit our swimming pool every night. We would let her oh. out into the backyard, and she would take she would spend like twenty minutes swimming around in the pool. She was a German Shepherd, um, and she had you know that hip dysplasia that a lot of older dogs get in their senior years. And and yeah, just moving in the water felt great for her. Absolutely correct. But most cats don't want to jump in a. <laughs> Probably swimming. don't want to go in the swimming pool. Yeah. So so what do you do? And. Uh, veterinary medicine has been limited in the number of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NASEDs we can give cats for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that all cats don't respond well. And and secondly, because there aren't a lot of choices even for cats. And, and thirdly, because uh, there's a huge subgroup of cats that may have concurrent conditions. Uh, so, for example, uh, if the cat has GI issues, many older cats do to one degree or another. Well, we're talking about, to some extent, older cats that have arthritis. They can't even be thought about for those products. So what has happened is that veterinarians have come up with a multimodal approach using all sorts of different things, including potentially water therapy, more likely laser therapy and acupuncture uh, there is something amazing called an ACC loop, which now, and I'm help. sorry, I want to back up. So acupuncture can be helpful for cats, but is it a treatment that a typical cat would tolerate? Because I feel like I've lived with very few cats who would allow anyone to stick a bunch of needles into them. I know I actually do know from my own personal experience that this is a treatment that can be very helpful in people. And it's wonderful that it's available to cats. But is it something in your experience, is this, is this, can a practitioner actually help a cat 
adjust to this kind of treatment? Uh, yes, by the way, is the answer to that. You know, sometimes it depends on the cat. So some cats are so difficult to get out of the house in the first place, you know, uh, that, yeah, it could be a challenge that might not be what you do. Uh, there are other things that you do, right? Uh, depending on uh, depending on the individual animal uh, is the choices and the lifestyle of the pet parents as well are the choices that are made. So maybe that isn't the right choice. Or maybe you have someone come over to your house to do that so the cat doesn't have to go out. Some cats actually put it together. This happens and then I feel better. Uh, other cats, no, it's not. But the needles are so thin. And if you've had acupuncture, you know, that's yeah, not they the feel issue. like nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that's not the issue. The issue more than anything is, will you let someone else touch you and handle you? Right. And will you go to the place that gives you that therapy, uh, no matter what that therapy is? Massage therapy can help. And you can be taught as a pet parent how to do that on your own. I did that for our uh, very geriatric cat. I mean, there's a whole long list of things. And that list is getting longer, by the way. There are some nutraceuticals. They're not pharmaceuticals and they're not nutritional supplements. They're this like place in between, a hybrid in between all that. And, and they can help as well. Uh, but what I'm excited about is a new drug that is hitting the market right now. I think it is like the best thing since tuna for cats. Uh, it's called <laughs> Silencia. Uh, S Silencia. How do you spell that? But now, now I got S O L E N S I A. It's a monoclonal antibody. So this is something that we discovered the term because monoclonal antibody has been used to help support people with COVID-19. I was going to say again, it's one one of uh, another term along with coronavirus that we've become yeah. very yep. familiar with over the past couple of years. Yep. Yep. And, you know, this has got nothing to do with monoclonal antibodies used for people, but it does have everything to do with the fact that it is approved specifically for cats, unlike some of the NASEDs, there's been so far, because it's been used in Europe, so this is not like an experimental thing we're just trying. It is FDA approved. It's been used in Europe for quite some time. And there are no known side effects. The biggest challenge is that you have to continue to go to the veterinarian to get these injections. And that can be a challenge. So this is why all those talks I gave for all those years about how to get cats and carriers, how to get them adjusted to going into the car and then going to a veterinary clinic. This is why I support fear-free clinics and cat-friendly clinics uh, so much and cat-friendly professionals and fear-free professionals is because they understand it's all about handling the cat. It's all about the emotional well-being of those cats because now here's an opportunity to do something amazing for your cat. It can be done. And boy, I've seen video after video after video at this point of before and after kind of thing. And the cat that was tentative about going up or downstairs, for example, is now, you know, just like a kitten, you know, right. uh, having the zoomies all over the place. And it's a 14 year old cat who is arthritic. That doesn't change except, except a big except the way the cat feels changed, the cat's not in pain anymore. And that low, the inflammation is lowered, that changes. And that's huge because that's what causes the pain in the first place. I mean, this, this product is a, uh, it's, it's the best, as I said, it's amazing. 
And what also is amazing that you will appreciate, Gwen, is typically in my world, the product comes out for dogs first and then cats. Well, this product came out for cats first. Dogs will be next year or the year after. Well, well, there you go. There's a little bit of uh, fe- feline preference, which which so it seems to be uh, so infrequently the case in uh, veterinary medicine, among other places. I do want to add, by the way, um, and I realize this is not a service that is available everywhere, but in some places you can also find uh, veterinarians when you have cats who will come to your home to treat yeah. your cat there. And for example, um, towards the end with my cat Homer, who is very had a lot of, of phobias um, about the vet, the a veterinary office it was a a much better option for us and and it's great that there are so many i mean so many of the things that you've listed you know the point i think is that you don't need to do all of these things for any cat but that there are enough options that hopefully you can mix and match and find something that works clinically and also suits your cat's personality um I think actually massages is is a great kind of payoff for both you and your cat if it's something uh-huh. that helps ease the cat's arthritis as well. Um yeah, maybe, and you know, definitely maybe. lovely bonding moment. Yes, and maybe helps ease the stress you had in a bad work day. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, as as petting our cats so often does. Um yeah. Steve, I I thank you so much for for joining us today and for being so informative and for giving all of us all of this to think about. And and I really do. I I want to come back to the idea of the Every Cat Health Foundation, um, which I think people should check out. Just the idea that FIP could, at some point in the very near future, um, be a, a. I mean, if not actually a thing of the past, at least the inevitability of of losing cats to FIP that could be a thing of the past is is such tremendous news. And I think a lot of people are going to be very excited to have heard that. And again, I encourage you to please visit. The Every Cat Health Foundation, consider giving them your support because they make breakthroughs like this one. Yeah, uh, this is a game changer. This is a real game changer. It is. And, you know, um, as I said, I've witnessed many, many veterinarians just weeping when, when I talk about this, because imagine, you know, as a veterinarian, mostly it is kittens that get FIP. Yeah. And, and it's mostly, a horrible thing to to see kittens die of, which everybody yeah. who works in rescue has at some and, point. And mostly it is older cats that get cancer, kidney disease. Right. And somehow that's easier. Okay. You expect it maybe as a cat parent. Uh, FIP, some people have never even heard of, comes out of the blue. You've got a new kitten maybe because you're still grieving over this other cat that died. And it's horrific And as a veterinarian, which I'm not, to be clear, I'm a certified animal behavior consultant, but I have empathy for veterinarians who have to tell clients, your kitten has FIP. And then the client says, what is that? And the veterinarian essentially has to say, it means this kitten is going to die and maybe sooner than later. And it could be a bad, a horrible death, you know? Yeah. Um, that's a horrible thing to have to communicate and to not have to do that anymore. But similarly with Silencia, I've seen veterinarians weep or applaud, by the way, when I mention Silencia, because veterinary professionals at this point in time know this drug is here. And I've heard, you know, in the room, yeah, yeah, because we know 
what a difference this drug is going to make. And there are, by the way, cats that are euthanized because people feel terrible. Their cat is in such horrible pain. And I can't oh, I believe it. About it. I, I'm I'm sure I'm sure that's true. You know, our, my cat is is suffering is obviously the the main, if not the only reason for for euthanizing a cat. And so it's it really it is great to know that there are some viable alternative treatments available or soon to be available. Um, and again, thank you so much for for coming here today and and telling us about them and and giving us some hope as we close out 2022 and begin 2023. Um, it really it's been wonderful having you on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much, Gwen, and thank you for everything you do. Thanks so much for joining me bright and early in the new year, and don't forget to check back here next week for another all-new episode. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.